Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got a good show for you this week. In case you have not been aware, with all the stuff going on with the football teams, not doing so well, the baseball teams in the playoff stretch, it's almost hockey season. The NHL season starts in a couple of weeks, and that means we talk hockey on this podcast. It's time to bring Pete Considori in the studio. Pete will be here in just a bit to recap the offseason for the three locals and look ahead to the 20. 20- 19-2020 hockey season. That's coming up in just a bit. Show me the money. Also here for week number four picks. I had a great week on the picks last week going 3-0. and I am hoping to carry the momentum forward against a brand new voice this podcast, Troy Moriello. He will be on to week four picks with me in a bit. Be sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill where we recap yet again the latest in the Antonio Brown saga and Brown out of football again after the Patriots cut him. We'll break down all the craziness there, what that means for him going forward. But we'll get all wrong this week's opening tip, where we recap the highs and the lows of New York football this weekend right after this. On fourth and five, Jones steps up, takes off, he's in, touchdown! That's the danger of a running quarterback. Nobody's going to be right here. Watch all these defenders turn their back to Daniel Jones. They're all looking at their assignment. The rush integrity is voided. Easy touchdown. Second rushing touchdown for Daniel Jones, and they are in position. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call you guys heard courtesy of Fox Sports' is Kenny Albert and Rondé Barber. Daniel Jones on fourth and five in the fourth quarter late in the game, running in the game-winning touchdown for the Giants, who hang on to beat the Bucks 32-31 to get on the winner board for the first time this season. And I know the Bucks missed a kick at the end of this game. They missed a lot of kicks yesterday, actually. So it's a good chance the Giants could have lost this game. But if you're a Giant fan, you have to be thrilled what you saw out of your quarterback yesterday because everybody maligned Daniel Jones picking the draft. Everybody said, oh, what a reach. You can't take him at six. What are you doing? You could have got him later in the draft. And he shut up everybody for a game yesterday. I mean, Daniel Jones yesterday led the Giants back from 18 points down in this game to win. And that's something Eli Manning never did. That is the biggest comeback for the Giants in 49 years. You know you're doing something right when you're doing something for the, with the Giants for the first time in almost half a century. Daniel Jones... He had a good day from the pocket yesterday. He goes 23 to 36, 336 yards, two touchdowns. The line didn't help him. He got sacked five times, but he held up just fine. Ran the ball well, four carries, 28 yards, two more scores. And the first rookie ever to throw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, and run for two touchdowns in the same game. That's a lot of good first for Daniel Jones. And the one thing you take away from watching that game with Daniel Jones is Yes, he got some mistakes. Yes, he did have a fumble and a couple of fumbles in there he lost. But that's going to happen with a rookie. Ball security was an issue for Eli back in the day, too, remember. So they fixed that. I wouldn't be surprised they fixed it with Jones. The thing with Jones that you like here is the mobility factor, which something this giant offense has not had with Eli Manning. And I know he's not going to be mistaken for Lamar Jackson out there running the football, but a little bit of mobility out of your quarterback is a nice thing to have in the modern age. We've seen guys like an Aaron Rodgers, like an Andrew Luck, who are not known for their legs but can extend plays by scrambling, throwing on the run, creating and improvising. That's something you hope that you're getting out of Daniel Jones if you're a Giant fan. Daniel Jones can 
be a good quarterback if he's able to build on an outing like yesterday. Now, is this all going to be sunshine and rainbows and he's going to lead the Giants to 10 wins and go to the playoffs? Probably not. That defense is still very flawed, as we saw yesterday. James Winston shredded them for 380 yards through the air, threw for three touchdowns. They have 144 on the ground. It was not for Tampa's kicker being a complete joke. The Giants would be 0-3 right now. But at this point, you got to be happy you're a Giant fan. You got some excitement out of your quarterback. He looks good. I know it's one game. I know it's Tampa Bay, but he does look good, and that's a huge positive because some guys, when they come out, they look like deer in the headlights. There will be times this year where Jones looks like a rookie, and he has games where he struggles. I mean, this week against the Redskins should be an easier matchup for him as well. When we get to Minnesota, we get to New England, we get to some of the teams in the second half of schedule, big defense like the Packers and the Bears. Those will be good tests for Daniel Jones. But right now, you're a Giant fan. You are thrilled what you got at your quarterback. You are absolutely super happy right now about this. And let's hear a little bit from Daniel Jones after the game yesterday, after he scored the go-ahead touchdown. They're playing some kind of man and, and just kind of opened up there and, and uh, saw, the, saw the grass and took it. So fun finish to it, exciting, uh, you know, last drive. I'm excited. I think this is, uh, you know, awesome, awesome win, uh, fun to be a part of. Yeah, you definitely got to be excited if you're a Giant fan. You know, he recognized that read right away, made the correct decision at fourth and five. Saw the Red Seas party and said, you know what, I can walk into the end zone. He walked into the end zone. The bad news, you're a Giant fan, obviously the Saquon Barkley injury. Leaves with the high ankle sprain, comes back on the sideline late in the game in a walking boot and on crutches. So you're not going to see him for quite a while, I would guess. Usually those are like four to six weekers. We haven't gotten an official timetable yet. I mean, I'm recording on Monday afternoon right after the Jones game. So I would not be surprised he's out for a little while. It'll be interesting to see how teams can game plan for them now that they know A, Jones can scramble, and B, they don't have Barkley to take the pressure off of him because the downgrade from Barkley to Wayne Gallman is massive. I would not be surprised to try and bring another body in here to help share some of the load with Gallman, but more of the offensive load falls on Daniel Jones immediately, which is not what I think they were wanting to do. I think they wanted to use the running game, take stuff off of Jones's plate, set him up position to succeed. Now you don't have that elite running back for a little while. So interesting to see how Daniel Jones adapts to not having that uh, safety net there with Saquon Barkley. As far as the Jets are concerned, my goodness, they were a disaster yesterday in New England. Somehow they covered the spread. Somehow they got within the 23-point spread of this game. The offense did absolutely nothing yesterday. They were pathetic, folks. Number one, the offensive line, again, a complete and utter disaster. I mean, poor poor Luke Falk had no chance in this game. He got sacked five times. He got hit a lot. There was one play in the second half where the Jets had five in to block. The Pats sent four. Not one lineman blocked a guy. All four of them got to Luke Falk. That's not good. That's poor communication, folks. Safe to say the Ryan Khalil move has been a disaster. He looks like he should stay, should have stayed retired. He's been bad. Calvin Beach did not improve after getting destroyed on Miles Garrett last week. The offensive line still a huge, huge issue for this team. The defense first quarter was abysmal. They let the Pats go right down the field and score twice. I mean, they scored 20 points lightning quick. The worst one of the worst play of the day for them was 
that play action touchdown from uh, Tom Brady to Philip Dorsett. Let me play that for you, courtesy of CBS Sports' Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon. They had a lot of success together. It's a, been a great relationship. Fake to Sonny Michelle. Oh, and he's got him. Dorsett. Touchdown. 25-yard touchdown pass, Brady. Just watch the, the hold that this gets, and then you're going to see Dorsett. He's going to sneak out right here. But look at the hold. Look at the linebackers. They're all chewed up by this play fake. This is a huge opening for the quarterback and receiver. Yeah, as Rich Gannon mentions right there, everyone on that team bet on the play fake. I know C.J. Mosley's not there. I know Avery Williamson's not there. But can Neville Hewitt not bite on every play action there is? And can the safeties and the linebackers like actually be aware? You know what? There's a guy leaking out here. He might go to the end zone. And this is the Patriots. They like to throw into the end zone. That's a big problem. Another issue with this team, again, not much on defense. The defensive line put almost no pressure on Tom Brady. None whatsoever. I mean, he could have stood there in a tuxedo yesterday and played the football game. He was not getting hit whatsoever. I mean, Henry Anderson, for all we got, paid two tackles. I think three tackles, sorry. Total. And Leonard Williams, again, invisible. He has been such a bust for this football team. It's pathetic. I mean, this guy was drafted high. It took him sixth in 2015. Ever since his rookie year, he was good, but he's declined since then. All we hear is Leonard Williams draws double teams. Leonard Williams is a valuable member of this defense. Leonard Williams is a guy defenders from coordinators have to account for. I'm sick of that. At some point, you have to make plays. And when your defense is down multiple starters, you got to make a play. You are the highest paid guy on that defense. We're not paying you to draw double teams. We are paying you to make tackles and sack the quarterback. He is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. They will let him walk because he has been absolutely useless. The big problem, though, the offense and the decision-making by the the brilliant head coach, Adam Gase. I mean, this game plan was as uninspired as I've ever seen from a a team. And this is in a league where we saw the Miami Dolphins yesterday, the tanking Dolphins in Dallas, go for a flea flicker and aggressively try surprise onside kicks to try and win the game. Whereas Adam Gase is run Le'Veon Bell to the left, run Le'Veon Bell to the right, throw a screen behind the line on third and seven, punt. That's the game plan. That's not going to work in this NFL. You cannot be afraid to do anything. The Wildcat, if you're, all you're going to do with it is have Le'Veon Bell hand off a Ty Montgomery, get rid of it. It is useless. That play was, may have worked in 2007 when no one had seen it before, but in 2019, everyone knows that the number one goal of the Wildcat is to hand off to a running back. Do something else with it. Go outside. Throw a pass. Do something. Don't just hand off. And Adam Gase, again, the play calling was just abysmal. I mean, we're throwing screens to Robbie Anderson on third and nine? Really? That's a successful game plan? Third and nine, we're going to throw a screen, hope he breaks 15 tackles. That's going to work? We also have with them... Third and three, we're throwing a pass backwards to Le'Veon Bell. That's good. That's great. We'll go behind the sticks and hope Le'Veon Bell breaks another 10 tackles to get to the first down line because, God forbid, the line blocks for him. Again, also, Luke Falk not getting many chances to take shots down the field because I know Le'Veon Bell is great. He got 18 carries yesterday. He only had 35 yards. 
The Jets threw for 69 yards as a team. That's pathetic. That cannot be acceptable. And for a coach who prides himself as an offensive innovator and a quarterback whisperer, the offense has been a joke. If you are this offensive genius and you have some talent on this team, I know they are down their starting quarterback. I know they are down their starting tight end. I know the line has not played well, but as a schemer, you should be able to find a way to make things work. There is no reason your quarterback can go 12 of 22 for 98 yards in interception in a football game. There is no reason you should barely be getting over 100 yards of offense in the game. Absolutely none. And the big one for me also, on several occasions this game, Adam Gase has basically said, you know what? We can't compete. I'm not going to try. At the end of the half, they get the ball back with three timeouts. And Grant Earth on 10-year line. He's like, you know what? I'll run once go to the locker room. End of the game. They are at their own. They're down 16 points. They had the football back. It's fourth and three. They're deep in their own territory. He says, you know what? I'm punting the football. I'm waving the white flag. That's something Ty Bowles would do all the time, and we murdered Ty Bowles for it. Adam Gase should be held accountable for this because Adam Gase has been a failure as a head coach over three games. And I actually hope that Darnold comes back because as long as his health is clear, I want him to prove that we don't give Gase the crutch of, I didn't have my quarterback. I can't run my offense the way I want to. B.S. Teams in the league find ways to score points without their starting quarterback and with backups in there. The Colts redesigned their whole offense after Andrew Luck retired around Jacoby Reset, and they're scoring points. The Giants threw a rookie quarterback in, yes, in there yesterday. They're scoring points. Why can't you score points? Hey, let's hear a little bit from Adam Gase after the game yesterday in terms of his thought process on this team. Let's go first to this clip. It's brutal. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's infuriating because you're watching the defense and special teams play as hard as they, they can and executing what they're being asked to do, and they're doing it well for the majority of the game, and then we're not holding our end on offense. Notice what he said there, the word executing. That was his key phrase in the postgame yesterday. It's like he got questioned a lot about the game plan, which is, again, extremely conservative and worse than his preseason game plans. This is not possible in the league where the preseason is supposed to be where you do the vanilla stuff, where you run your draws, where you run your short passes. The Jets were all kinds of craving the preseason. They were running crazy route trees. They were stretching the field. But when the bell rang, all of a sudden they went back to, you know, handoff, handoff, short pass, short pass, short pass. That's not going to fly. And Gaze was asked about this, and he said, quote, he basically said that the offense did not execute the game plan. The game plan was fine. The game plan was not fine. When you are going short every down, there is no threat of a deep pass. The teams will put nine in the box to take Le'Veon Bell away from you. The line can't block long enough for you to get down the field. You have to change your scheme. He said he's doing the same stuff, hoping different stuff happens, which is a definition of insanity. Let's also get this one from Gase. I never thought I'd say week four by week, I'm glad it's here. But, I mean, we get, we got to address some some things. We got to figure out what's going on. We're not we're not in sync. We're not we're not doing a good job of working together. We're kind of all over the place, so we, we got to get that fixed. Yeah, they do need that by very badly. When the schedule came out, a lot of people said, oh, week four bye, that's bad for the Jets. They're barely in the season. They've got to play 13 weeks. Right now, that bye week is a great thing for the Jets because they can't lose next week. 
they might get their quarterback back after the bye, depending on his structural integrity. They need the week to figure out the offensive line and get these guys reps together because they cannot function as a unit. And if they're going to be this bad going forward, they need to change some guys. They need to try something different because this is not working. Adam Gase needs to try new things. He needs to actually get in there and be an innovator and be the quarterback whisperer everybody claims he is. I'm sick and tired of watching the same garbage again and again and again. I did not think it was possible for the coaching staff to get worse from Todd Bowles to Adam Gase, but it has over three games. Now, let's see what happens. Darnold expects to be back after the bye. That's all very up in the air. I don't buy he will be back until I see him on the field actually taking snaps in the center because of the whole thing with Amano and the fact that if his spleen is not stable enough, it could actually like literally explode if he gets hit too hard and then bye-bye Sam Darnold for good, and you can't risk that. So, a lot of trouble in Jetland. Adam Gay should be on the hot seat after how abysmal his team has looked at the three games, but we'll see. He's conned Christopher Johnson before. Christopher Johnson got sold a bill of goods when he hired him, so hopefully he's not completely delusional and sees, you know what, this coach is not working. But we'll save that for another day. Up next, we're going to talk some hockey with Pete Considori right after this. Now Kako. Ryder set up in front of Schneider. Set up to, and score! Mika, that's Artemi Panarin. It's a power play goal. And that's what they're expecting lots of this season. All right, we are back on the Just End Suffering podcast. That call you guys heard from MSG Sam Rosen. Artemi Panarin's first preseason goal is a Ranger, the big offseason acquisition for New York. When it's time to talk hockey, we know this man just walks into the studio to talk about it. It's Pete Considori. Pete, welcome. How are you? I didn't even know you were doing a podcast today. I just showed up, and I was like, let's talk some hockey. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been an interesting offseason and preseason, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's hockey time. I'm excited. I'm sure a lot of hockey fans out there are excited as well, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yes, yeah, so once again, Pete here for the hockey. I would have let that marry with us, but Mary Obatiga from a hockey roundtable panel here is busy traveling the world, so she cannot be with us today. I'm so. telling you, she's avoiding me. <laughs> she's avo- she she's like ah, Pete doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't want to, I don't want to do a show with him. No. Yeah, yeah, no. Mary, yeah, Mary, it's pretty cool though. She's traveling. Yeah, she's traveling the world. She schooled you in the hockey predictions last year, so <laughs> she doesn't need us anymore. <laughs> she's she's off to bigger and better things. Yeah, but we're still here podcasting for you guys, so we're gonna talk some hockey today. So last time I talked to you, though, we talked some Stranger Things. I think that one went pretty well. That was great. Yeah. I love doing Stranger Things. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, you know, I think I weighed in on the Avengers a little bit that podcast or yeah. one of the other podcasts. I love yeah. talking movies and TV shows. So it's not only hockey with me here. It's not only hockey. Last that was fun the last time. So maybe maybe this was Star Wars do in the future too. <sighs> Listen, yeah. with the new Star Wars. Uh, new star wars movie coming out that <laughs> i have so many questions that need to be answered yeah uh but yeah we can listen i'm sure stanko's got into that we can get the, into that in a yeah, different podcast yeah, we'll discuss that in the future the uh, star wars questions we have but we'll get into the hockey today so obviously i'm not doing too well my sports teams right now my jets stink oh. the, the mets season is just about over you know they're playing well they're mathematically pretty much dead but Give me some hope for hockey season. How do you feel about the Rangers this year? So here's the thing. The hockey season is interesting. It's interesting because I don't know how to feel about the Rangers. Yeah. So so Artemi Panarin scores a bomb yeah. in, the, in the power play. And if you watch the power play, I think it's previously or even after, their power play looks really, really good with Truba um, quarterbacking that power yeah. play, Panarin on one side, Kako on the other. It, it looks 
really good. Kreider in the middle, he's a good net from presence. If we can keep that a power play line, I think we'll have a lot of power play success. However, I don't like how the King is playing. Yeah. I, I don't know if he is just getting older and he is trying. He's not as nimble as he used to be. I don't know if he is taking the approach of, well, we're still in this rebuild. Uh, you know, subconsciously, he's not playing. He's playing down to what he thinks his team is. Uh, you know, Henrik Lundqvist has always been a gentleman and always been a, a class act, so I don't think it's that. But there is something – it might just be preseason. Like, he's just trying to, you know, knock the cobwebs off a little bit because of the offseason, you know, you're know, not playing as much. You have an 82-game season ahead of you. Maybe he's not trying to go all out in the preseason. Um, Igor Shesterkin, I think, played really well. It's, it's hard to say, and we'll obviously go into more detail with the players, but it's just very hard to say right now, especially because we're still split up into a Team A, Team B situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And before we dive into all that, let's take a look back at the offseason for them, which I think – was a superstar offseason. I mean, they got pretty much everything oh. you could want from them and more. Absolutely. I mean, I think Panera was an overpay, but I think everyone was going to overpay for Panarin at that point. He took a discount to come to yeah. the Rangers, and a lot of Islander fans are pretty bitter about that, so I apologize if you um, are a fan of the Islanders. So he did take a discount. It was like a .25 million. Like, it wasn't even anything crazy. Um, and he came to play for the Rangers. He's wearing number 10. Um, you know, Panarin... Truba, I think, is going to be huge for the blue line, and I, I, you know, of course, I like our second round um, pick, of, uh, excuse, second second pick of the first round overall, uh, Capocacco, obviously. Um, the the thing that the off season brought that a lot of people I don't think are talking about too too much is the whole Fox trade. Yeah. I think Fox and Truba are going to be huge on the blue line this year. Obviously, Fox has a lot of learning to do because he is younger, but. It was mentioned when it happened. Everyone was excited for it. But then once Truba got signed, I feel like we really didn't hear about Fox that much. But I think he's going to be a really good third-line, maybe even second-line defensive pair. I think Mark Stahl needs to be bought out ASAP. I understand why they bought out Kevin Shattenkirk in the offseason because how many right-handed defensemen do you need? But the – I'm sorry. I love Mark Stahl. I love the commitment to the team. He's always been a, a hard worker. Um, but I just I think it's time if we're going to get younger to get younger, and we're not doing that with Mark Stahl in the lineup. We're not even doing that if you want to make the argument with Henrik Lundqvist in the lineup. However, it's the king. This is Henrik Lundqvist. I mean, you you can't not start Henrik Lundqvist. But I do see in the possible future having a one A one B situation with Igor Shesterkin. I really do see that, and I don't think Henry Lundqvist would mind that. Like I say, he's a class act. He wants what's best for the team, but I can see what happened when St. Louis happening to the Rangers where you had the Allen um, and uh, – oh, God, the name is escaping me now. Bennington? Not Bennington. It was before – it was Allen and someone else. Oh, man, I'm terrible at this. Elliot. Allen yeah. and Elliot going back and forth. So um, I could see that, but I think Henry Lundqvist is starting. I think – I think – Igor Shesterkin maybe starts down in the Wolf Pack, and they leave Gorgiev up as the backup. But I may see Gorgiev and Shesterkin switch off between the Wolf Pack and being the backup, depending on how they're doing. So, um, look out for Adam Fox. I think he's going to have a great year. Is he going to have a Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson kind of playing year? No, but I think he's going to get um, a lot of uh, good minutes. 
Keandre Miller on the blue line also, someone that may start the season, may not. I know he talked about going back to play for his college team, so he may not be in this season, but someone also to look for in the future on our blue line. Yeah, and obviously they brought in a lot of new pieces, but I feel like the hype trail of Rangers got so high after the after they basically got the Kako Panarin double, but I feel like obviously the 0-3 preseason sort of reset the expectations a little bit. Sort of like, you know, this is a very young team. There's a lot of new pieces here, and the guys that came to this team – they didn't come to a very good team. I think people started to remember, like, oh, yeah, the Raiders still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that expectation has to stay where it is. I don't think uh, – I don't think in my mind we're making the playoffs this year unless we gel really well. I, I don't – I'm not saying we can't make the playoffs this year. But, again, with the teams that are out there who have the experience, I mean, even the New York Islanders, yes, they lost Robin Leonard, but – you still have to get through the Islanders to get into the postseason. So I, I just I don't know if we're ready to get through the teams that are here yet unless one of those teams, let's say Pittsburgh, maybe the Islanders, drops off and we have that chance to sneak in. Even the Carolina Hurricanes kind of snuck their way in a little bit um, last year. Uh, not snuck their way in, but you know, no one was thinking Carolina Hurricanes, right? But um, so it's a possibility but the expectation is look we're still rebuilding we have Panarin locked up for seven years we have Truba locked up um, or is it eight years for Panarin I can't remember somewhere around there yeah so we have time the only person we don't have time with right now is Chris Kreider we don't know if he will be in a Rangers sweater by the end of this season he may get traded I don't like him being traded I think he should stay on the team he's still pretty young he's a fast piece to this team so the expectation still has to stay low just because we got Panarin, just because Mika has been doing rather well as of late as our top centerman, we still have to remember these are not the Rangers of 2014 who made it to the Cup. These are the Rangers of David Quinn, rebuild, getting young young stars um, ready for NHL. Yeah, I think what people got to realize this team is that, yes, it's looks, the future looks very exciting. They have a lot of very great, exciting. Pieces, great pieces here, but like, I feel like this is going to be the year where a lot of the growing pains come out, especially with guys like Kako and uh, Fox, all these young guys. I'm not worried about Kako as much because yeah. he has been playing with with men. You know, yeah. he's not. You know, that was the whole th- that was the whole comparison between Capo Kako and Jack Hughes, right? Yeah. Jack Hughes has only been used to playing in his 18 um, league and juniors and stuff like that, but now Kako was always playing in this kind of you know Worlds I- IHF, and he's already used to it. Jack Hughes has been playing great now. We'll get to that team, but I don't think Kako is going to have as much as an issue as maybe Fox will. Yeah. Um. But I don't. I don't. That's not to discourage Fox's development. I think he's going to be great too. So, it's going to be interesting. The growing pains will be there, but as a Ranger fan, objectively sitting back, as much as I want to say, well, we got Panarin, we have Truba, we have all these pieces. Brady Shea. Let's not forget about Brady Shea. Even though yeah. we didn't just get him, he's still one of our top defensemen, young, good defensemen. Um, we still got to remember it's probably not happening for a few years where we can say, yeah, we're competing for the Stanley Cup. It could change. St. Louis Blues last year were in dead last uh, January 1, and they won the Stanley Cup. So anything can happen. But we, we can't have our, our, our hopes too high about this season. Yeah, you can't have the hopes too high for that season because, I mean, even with – I mean, all the guys are great, but you mentioned not, people forget about guys like – Leas Anderson, Philip Heal, Brett Howden, they're all still very young. They're all going to have their own growing pains. Still very young. And st- and, and it's players that are hopefully going to get better. Brett yeah. Howden didn't have a great year last year. I th- thought he could have done a little bit better, but who knows? Maybe it's a sophomore slump for him. Maybe he he's going to do well this year. We have to evaluate that. 
it, not every person, not every prospect that we get is going to be a stud. So we have to make sure that we evaluate and we make these changes now so that a couple years from now we have a solidified roster where if we have one or two guys coming up learning, it's better than 10 or 11. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's move on to the Raiders, man. Let's go to the Devils. You brought Jack Hughes up. Obviously, he's the top pick. They chose him over Capo Caco. So how do you think year one will go for him with the Devils? Um, I think Jack Hughes is riding on a bit of a high right now where he got drafted first overall. It's his first game as a devil or first couple games as a devil. He's been playing phenomenally, but I would take that with a grain of salt because it is preseason rosters. He is playing against a lot of people that are in development camps where they may not make the team. So I'm not saying that Jack Hughes is overrated. I'm not saying that Jack Hughes cannot perform in the NHL. But I would like to see how he performs with a full NHL roster and not a Team A, Team B situation with the Rangers or without teams starting their backup goaltenders or without teams looking to see if their prospect pool is going to actually make the NHL this season. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Jack Hughes. The Devils as a whole, their main problem is Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall is going to have to either resign soon or not sign and either sign with a different team or they're going to go into these Mitch Marner contract and so negotiations-esque kind of thing again because it's Taylor Hall. If I was Taylor Hall and I see the work that the Devils are putting in, I would probably resign with them. I mean, you just picked up P.K. Subban. Not the best couple of last years with Nashville, um, but he's still an elite defenseman. You got Jack Hughes. You got Nikita Gusev, who's one of the top Russian prospects out there. So, yeah, he's probably waiting, and his agents probably told him, look, wait to see how this season goes before you make a decision. Another big thing for the Devils is goaltending. I don't know if Cordy Shire is going to be their top goaltender. I don't know what's going to happen. They don't have Kincaid anymore. So we we have to see where they go goaltending-wise and how negotiations, negotiations go with Taylor Hall. Because they also have to remember, we got to sign Jack Hughes in three years. So if we give Taylor Hall all this money with P.K. Subban and we have to sign Nikita Gusev as well, they may not give Taylor what he wants. So, or what he thinks he deserves. So it's going to be interesting. It's one of those years, again, where you have a big free agent that's coming up, and I feel like it's going to be till the bitter end where we wait and see if he's going to sign or not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have a lot of interesting stuff going on. The Taylor Hall thing's hanging over them. I thought they had a very weird offseason where they brought in a lot of big names and sort of didn't really foster the depth of this team. I mean, they brought in Wayne Simmons. So, they brought in Subban. Right, Wayne trade. Simmons, too. So this is this is the problem now. Yeah. Now you have Nikita uh, Gusev. You have... Jack Hughes. Three years from now, they want to get paid if they're going to play the way they did. Okay, Um, If they're going to be top guys, you have two top guys now that you have to pay. And guess what? In three years, the salary cap will be going up. TV deals will be in. Seattle will be playing. They may make more than McDavid. Just because of the way salary crap is, not because they're better than McDavid. I mean, McDavid has the highest contract at 12, 12 point something average annual value. That might go up to 13, 14 in three or four years. So they have to still pay Jack Hughes and Gusev if they stay and they do well, but now you have to factor that in when you want to re-sign Hall. And it's interesting that you said that they kind of put their focus on picking up all these players. I hope Taylor Hall doesn't think, well, they don't care if I walk. They're picking up all these good players. I hope that he sees that what they're doing is trying to say, look, Taylor, we're trying to build this team so we can win Stanley Cups. If I was Taylor Hall, I can understand, like, okay, you're just, you, you weren't, I mean, I'm sure contract negotiations are going on daily with these people, but 
if it were me, be like, well, you're getting everyone else. Doesn't seem like you need me. I'm gonna walk for bigger money for a, for a team that may actually have a chance of winning. Uh, the Devils have a chance of winning soon. I just think they need to lock up their goaltending a little bit better. Yeah, what do you think of the Subban trade specifically? I feel like that's sort of the biggest name they got outside of Hughes. Went obviously. <sighs> I personally like Subban on the Devils. I think Subban needed to change his scenery. Um, what happened in Montreal, I don't think was a change of scenery trade. Um, I think because I've heard rumors that just PK Subban in the front office had, or maybe even the head coach had different views. Um, not bad or anything like that. They just had their differences. Um, and I think that's where that one-for-one one trade came from with Weber. Um, but I think the last couple of years in Nashville haven't been the best for P.K. Subban. And for P.K. Subban, that's just like an average defenseman, right? I mean, I'm, he's still good. Um, I think this change of scenery is going to do wonders for him. I mean, he's even joking around with the fans in preseason. I mean, he they had a DJ booth set up where Wayne Simmons was doing autographs and taking pictures and – P.K. Subban was DJing just yeah. in front of the fans, just having fun. Yeah. So it seems like he's loving his experience in New Jersey, and that's the first step of having a good season in any city you play in. Um, I don't know what his feelings were about Nashville. I'm sure he loved to live there too and loved the city and the fans as well. But it looks like he's having a nice time here, and I think he likes the change of scenery, and he's going to have a pretty good year. Um, hopefully it translates into points for the team uh, for the season, meaning wins, but – you know, we, we, we should see big things from PK this year. Yeah, for sure. They got a lot going on. But we'll go to the one team here that actually made the playoffs last year, which is the Islanders, who I think, obviously, they had a big run last year. They got a right. playoff win. And they got upset by Carolina in the second round. Do you think they can take another step forward here and get so, to that conference final? So they swept the Pittsburgh Penguins, which yeah. was nuts, right? Yeah. You would think when the Pittsburgh Penguins are in, they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup because that's just the way it's been. Um, you know, now Pittsburgh lost Phil Kessel. They traded him, whatever. I don't know about the Islanders. Now, the reason why I don't know is because who's their goaltender? Yeah, same with Varlamov. So, as much as I like Varlamov, who's their goaltender going to be? That's going to be that guy. Like, Robin Leonard was, like, a godsend, if you think about it. Like, who would have thought Robin Leonard was going to be a top goalie in the NHL this year? I mean, don't get me wrong. He did well in past teams, but, like, he really, if they didn't have him, yes, you have Matt Barzal. Yes, you have Anders Lee. Cal Clutterbuck. You have all these players that are really good, too. I'm not trying to take away that. But if you have no goaltending, are you going to outscore? Like, do you have a team that's going to be able to just outscore the opponent every single game? I don't think so. I don't think you can ride off the back of Matt Barzal the entire season and then expect that to keep going for the playoffs. A lot of the teams that win the Stanley Cup are not the President's Trophy's winners, and there's a reason for that. It's because they're shot by the time they get to the playoffs. Yeah. And they also may be on a high horse a little bit. Maybe they think, well, we're the top team. We're playing against the wild card. This shouldn't be a problem. Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They got swept, and they were the President's Trophy winners. I think if you go back and look at the NHL stats, I think there's only six or seven teams that have won the President's Trophy the same year they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So it's very rare. Um, I, I think the Islanders have a good team. They have a good coach. They have a good GM. If they start scrambling for goaltending and we see a 1A, 1B, or they have a different goaltender every few months, I think they make the playoffs, but I think they're out the first round um, this year. I don't think they get make it past the first round because now you're dealing with teams. Like, even look at Florida. Florida just signed Bobrovsky. Like, that alone 
don't get me wrong, Robert Luongo is a great goaltender, but that alone right there gives Florida a really great chance of making the playoffs because they have a great team in front of goaltending. So now, yeah, you may not be the wild card. They may get in at the three spot, the Islanders, because they've been able to outscore the opponent, but how much longer can you do that? And I and and it's not trying to knock any fans or any team. I want to see New York be successful. Look, for me, I'm a Rangers fan. Obviously, I don't want to see the Islanders winning or the Devils winning. But at the end of the day, if they deserved it, they deserved it. They, everyone deserves to win the Cup if they work hard for it. So, um, I just I don't know. It's hard because it's preseason, right? We have we have players that we're never going to see this season. We have new players that we're going to see every game this season. So, uh, Islander fans, go into the expectation of you don't know how the season's going to go. Don't go in thinking, well, we're gonna we're gonna beat every team we face. I think the Islanders also rode a, a chip-on-their-shoulder kind of wave like the Vegas Golden Knights did. Yeah. Because all last season, all you kept hearing is, we don't need John Tavares. That's all the theme was, especially when they played Toronto. And what they did to John Tavares, I must say, was really disrespectful. I don't care what kind of signing he did. I don't care how he did it. It was rude. It wasn't right. This guy has been the leader of your team for X amount of years. Stayed with you when your organization is really, your organization was really just crap. It really was. The GM didn't know what the hell he was doing. The, you played, you didn't know what building you were going to play in, and he stuck around for that. He had a chance to play for his childhood team. You would do the same. So I disagree with Islander fans when it comes to that. But that doesn't mean they don't deserve success, the Islanders. But I also think they kind of rode that wave, just like the Vegas Golden Knights did. They rode that wave of, we can't do without John Tavares. Let me show you we can't do it. Matt Barzal, the same thing. Oh, I need you know I don't need John Tavares to be a good player because he is a good player. I'm very indifferent about it. I don't know. I can't tell you which way or another. I just don't think the Islanders have the success that they did last year. Yeah, I think you nailed with that Leonard thing, though. I feel like that's going to find their season. I feel like the argument there with the Islanders probably making themselves like, you know what, like, Lou Amarillo, like I know what I'm doing. I have Barry Trotz saying we changed the defensive system. That's gonna that made Leonard more than Leonard made us. I might be thinking we can do the same with Varlamov and, and pay a, cheaper. And that's a very and that's a very high possibility. Mm-hmm. Lou Amarillo was a fantastic GM. Yeah. Barry Trotz, a fantastic head coach. But what happens if Bar- Varlamov is not good? Yeah. What, what do you do then? Where's your backup, Grice? Yeah. Who's the backup to Grice? Like I. It, I don't. Their 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 goalie pool is not as big as you think. Most teams aren't, so that's why it's so critical to make sure you're starting the right guy or making trades or whatever. Because it once you stick with two or three goalies, there's you don't have five or six goalies on your roster waiting. Like yeah. it, it's hard. So that's why I don't know how the Islander season is going to be. If Varlamov's a hit and he's fantastic, yeah, they're making the playoffs. If he's a dud and Grice can't get it done either, well then no, I don't think they are. Yeah, well, that's what that's. I think I pretty much covered the locals pretty well, but let's get to uh, last year's champions. And at first, we need this. I still love that. That's a thing. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. I honestly, I think that's a great uh, story, and I also think it's a great winning song uh, for their season. And just it, the St. Louis Blues did a phenomenal job uh, last year, coming back from and and just working with the adversity against the team. Like it just it, they were last place January one, like yeah. la- of the league, not even their division, the league. Yeah, 
and they and they just came out of nowhere and won the Stanley Cup. And it just shows you any team that gets hot, once they get hot, they they have a shot. It's just it, you know, they say anything can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Even when the Rangers went to the Stanley Cup, the Kings were a wild card that year. Yeah. And they got hot and they just they were unstoppable. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, what do you think we're going to get the Blues this year? I think they have a shot repeating. It depends on Bennington. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Blues were phenomenal in front of him, but they weren't anything special in my opinion. They were scoring well. Pietrangelo is a great defenseman. Um, they they were producing the offense. But if you watch that Stanley Cup playoffs and you watch the season, Jordan Bennington kept them in those games. I mean, he really did. And I'm not trying to, to knock the players, but – if they did not have Jordan Bennington in there and they just had Allen and he wasn't playing that great, they're not where they are now. You know, they're not the the, the Stanley Cup champions. So, if Bennington has a sophomore slump, I I just I can't I can't see the team rallying around it again. Like Bennington came in and they kind of rallied around this young kid being so good and we need to work hard and they and they did and they deserved to win that Stanley Cup. Bennington was phenomenal one of the best goalies last year to start January you know whatever they started January 1 if it was a little later whatever it it's gonna again it's like the Islander uh it's like the Islander thing I said it's gonna it's gonna matter on Bennington because you have Allen behind him and history has shown that Allen is really not the guy to bring you the Stanley Cup he could but I, I just don't see it yeah, okay, so let's take the Blues out of the mix here for a minute. Let's look at some other quick things. So, like, who is your sleeper team this year? Who do you think is not getting enough love that you think will be having a good year? I don't think Calgary has been talked about too much. And I think Calgary is still – I wouldn't call it a sleeper, but I feel like everyone in the news right now is all about free agents, so you're really yeah. not talking about Calgary because really what's going on there? It's not like, you know, Goudreau is becoming a free agent, so you really don't hear about them right now. But Calgary has a phenomenal defensive core. And offensive core. I yeah. mean, it, they really do. And I think I think they can actually go far this year. I call them a sleeper because no one's really speaking about the Flames. I really haven't heard anything about the Flames this offseason. I haven't seen a preseason game. Like, even on the NHL Network, Like I feel like I don't even see their scores. You know? So, um, I think that they're going to be someone to look at throughout the season. Yeah, Mary's sleeper team last year, the Calgary Flames. They're still a sleeper this year. They're a sleeper because no one's talking about them, not yeah. because they're no one knows they're they're good. They're good. Goaltending still is eh, but you know if Smith can. Mike Smith's still the goalie, I think, over yeah. there. So if he can do well, which he's done pretty well, I think I think they have an okay shot. Yep. Plus they also kind of get lost in that Western Canada vacuum there between yep. the crazy Canuck fans and the Oilers and McDavid. Kind of yep. they kind of get lost in that shot. Yep. They're the best team of the three. Yep. And they got rid of Neil. Yep. Neil went to the Oilers. Yep. So. Maybe you can actually, you know, I don't know what's going on with Neil. Maybe he's just having really down couple of years. Maybe the trade to the pickup from the Vegas Golden Knights kind of messed him up. I don't know. Um, you know, when he got take when he got picked in the expansion draft. I mean, he had a good season when he was on in Vegas. Now it's just kind of dropping off a little bit. So maybe the change of scenery at the Oilers will help. Um, but yeah, just you know, Calgary. Hopefully they can do something this year. So who is let's go the other direction. Which team do you think is gonna bust this year? Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. hundred percent. I I I great talent, but even Dustin Bufflin's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to play this year. Like <laughs> it, it's come to the point where Patrick Lyonet's in Finland, I believe, training because he still hasn't signed. Yeah. All right. You lost Truba, 
Uh, Kyle Connor just didn't show up. Like, he's just not signing. So, yeah, you have Shifley, you got Wheeler, you got Hellebuck. But now now we're looking at the team. We're like, well, if Dustin Bufflin, one of your top defensemen, is going, I think I'm good this year, maybe it's something to look at that maybe the Winnipeg Jets are not in the right direction anymore, that they're starting to drop off a little bit. Who knows? Patrick Laine may sign tomorrow, and then Bufflin's like, okay, I'm back in. I don't know. But right now, I say Winnipeg Jets all the way. They were a team to contend with. They lost Kevin Hayes to the Flyers in a trade. Don't think they really got much of a return from him, in my opinion. I personally think – or no, it wasn't a trade. I'm sorry. He, he, was a, he, he walked. Was a, he walked. He was yeah. a, a UFA. So he walks from Winnipeg. Uh, Trouble walks from Winnipeg. Bufflin didn't even sign with anyone else. He's just like, I'm just done. I don't want to play this year. Um, they decide to suspend him so it doesn't take the salary cap hit because he just didn't show up to camp. Um, I, it's going to be a mess. I really don't think the look. It's still a, they're still a good team. I just if you want to talk about busts, I think it's the Winnipeg Jets. And about the Winnipeg Jets, boy, Jeff Gordon took them to school last year with that because first he tra- <sighs> he trades them Kevin Hayes for the first round pick and uh, Brandon I'll, Lemieux, who turned out to be a pretty good player yep. for them. They sends their first round pick back to them with the. Uh, with Neil Pionk for Truba. So basically, they traded uh, Neil Pionk and, and uh, Truba was the trade. I was confusing yeah. Truba with, with Kevin yeah. Hayes. And then we re signed him yeah. so that he wouldn't walk after this year. So basically, they turned Neil Pionk and, and Kevin Hay- and half a season of Kevin Hayes into Jacob Truba and uh, Brandon Lemieux. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, I, li- I love Kevin Hayes. I actually like Neil Pionk as a young defenseman. Yeah. He has a lot to learn. I think he will help Winnipeg, but he ain't going to help Winnipeg like Truba would. Yeah. And hopefully, Truba has a good season with the New York Rangers. But it. It just shows you how good Gordon is. Yeah. Like, he may not show you every season he's got things in the works, but I'm pretty sure he's had this Truba idea for a couple years now. Like, I don't think this was just out of nowhere. I think he saw Pionk, and he's like, hmm, how can I get this back? And maybe let me try and get a first-rounder for him. Okay, I got a first-round for Winnipeg. Oh, guess what? I'll give you a first-rounder back, and we'll give you Neil Pionk, and we'll take Truba. And they're like, okay, boom, <laughs> and they get it. Um. Yeah, you know that first round pick might turn into something huge yeah. if we don't do well this year. So Winnipeg may score. I, I don't know. No, that was, that was, the best part of that trade was that was they just gave them the wrong pick back because they took right. The, yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but but it, but it, I think still it, it, you're right. Though. If Winnipeg is bad, that could be a good pick for them. Right, Rangers had a good pick right. there. Winnipeg they, to yeah. to to Rangers, but from back. For, I, how does that work? See, I always got confused. If you trade a pick to the Rangers and the Rangers trade it back to you, is it how the Rangers? Would have done like, no. It's, it's Winnipeg's original pick, so. so it just it clears out, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah that's it, what I thought. So then, if Winnipeg does bad, then maybe maybe they do score. Yeah, I, it, it's a little confusing, but like basically, yeah, I think I think Winnipeg's the bust. I think if people are looking at teams and they go, oh yeah, Winnipeg's a powerhouse. I don't think they are this year. Maybe next year if they can get Line A. Even if they signed Line A, I don't think he's as good as what he was. Yeah. I I think he's not like he's an average player. I would honestly put him on the third line. Yeah. The way he performed. And he may have a bounce back year, but just judging from the way he looks, I just don't think he's the caliber of player right now. I'm sure he's asking for close to, like, Marner and Matthews money, which I don't think is fair. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but I'm sure he wants to get paid. He was a second round – a second – he was the second pick overall, uh, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess there. I mean, you can't even say your favorite team, the Blue Jackets, because everybody left Blue Jackets. I – I call you want to talk about Mary calling a sleeper team. Yeah. I called the whole Blue Jackets scenario yeah. to a T. Yes, and I'm did. not trying to toot my own horn, but I think Dezingle's the only one left over there. Yeah, everybody else left. Did he even resign with them? I don't. Even, I even see. A, I didn't even see a, a a thing that said Dezingle's gonna sign with them. Like it's just right now, 
everyone left or is not signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And even John Tortorella is getting mad. Yeah. Like, even with the whole, I think it was Wierenski had a, had a, it was either Wierenski or yeah. Atkinson that had a contract due this year. Yeah. And he's like, oh, if he doesn't come back. Like, he was getting, like, mad about it. So the Columbus Blue Jackets effectively have no one. Yeah, and I did I did fact check that. Zingle did leave. He's in Carolina now. He left. So either <laughs> they have I don't think they have anyone that we spoke about last year. They might have Kincaid. They might think they still have him. Yeah, but that was a trade to them. Like yeah. everyone else we spoke about, Duchesne, Panarin, Bobrovsky, Dezingle, all gone. Yeah. Gone. So so now you sit here and now if you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, Start being terrified, like I said, because it does. It, unless Kincaid stands on his head and you find the next Artemi Panarin in your prospects, oh, man, you're in for a season. Plus, they shift a lot of picks out to get those guys. Oh, man, you are. I mean, it's like the Rangers, right? Yeah. The Rangers did a lot of that in the first couple of uh, years of Gordon, and it's just, you know, we, we had to recoup that. But, like, oh, baby, you are, you are, you're with us in this season. You're going to be rebuilding for a little bit here. Yeah, they're rebuilding. They don't even have to pick because they're going to be in trouble. Oh, they got to make trades. There's yeah. got to be something that they could do, but they really dug themselves to all. Look, I admire them for going all out, yeah. thinking that they could do it. But did they really think they could do it? Yeah, probably not. It, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was a PR thing or what, but they had they had a dream team. Yeah. They really did. I mean, come on. Panarin, yeah. Bobrovsky, Dezingle, Duchesne. I, they swept the lightning. They, won the they swept the, the lightning. <laughs> it was like, oh, here we go. They're going to win. That's it. And then it just it just went. It went. And that yeah. was it. It was done. Yeah. All right. So they're clearly not going to the Stanley Cup this year. So No. I'm going to say no. So who is going to the Stanley Cup this year? Give me your prediction. I think Tampa Bay is going to really just say, you know what? This is our year. We need to push. I think Tampa Bay has a really good shot doing it. I think if they don't do it this year, they're done. Yeah. I really I really think because it's been the past few years that Tampa Bay's been the favorite to win. I think they're so sick and tired of letting people down and their own fans down. And I think John Cooper is tired of it as well, that they're going to rework a little bit. But I think after this year, if they don't do it, I just don't see it coming anytime soon. They have Kevin Shattenkirk. That's a red flag. Dan Girardi retired. Another former Ranger. Another for it's it's Rangers it's Rangers version two down in Tampa Rangers South yeah Rangers South exactly it's our it's it's we are the feeder team of Tampa yeah, Bay yeah um so it I would be worried worried because Kevin Shattenkirk is a is a gamble yeah do you get St Louis Blues Shattenkirk or do you get Washington Capitals New York Rangers Shattenkirk that's the gamble Dan Girardi he retired so now you lost Dan Girardi hard worker. Dude will block a shot for anyone. You need that in the Stanley Cup. So they still have a lot of great pieces, but now you're starting to fall apart a tad. So I just think after this year, if we don't get there, they're going to have a really hard time getting there. And from the West, I think out of all the teams, the St. Louis Blues have a shot if Bennington plays well. But I also think um, – oh, God, now I blanked. Jeez. I also think that San Jose will also have a chip on their shoulder not having Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski is a great piece that they lost. But I think they'll have a little chip going, we know we lost Joe, but we're going to we're gonna do this. And I play on that emotion because the Stanley Cup is a lot about des- desperation. And if they know they don't have Joe Pavelski, their like, workhorse of that team, someone's going to step up. It might be Logan Couture. It might be Eric Carlson. It might be Joe Thornton. I think they have a better shot this year because they're now playing with the emotion of desperation. 
Um, Dallas, possibly making a Stanley Cup appearance, uh, playoff appearance, excuse me. Joe Pavelski is a great addition to that team. But I like San Jose in the West. I'm going to go San Jose, Tampa Bay. I could be completely wrong. It could be Boston versus Vegas. I mean, or Boston versus Minnesota. Minnesota is another team that, like, tend to sneak their way into the playoffs every once in a while, and they think they're going to, you know, we think they're going to go far, and they don't. And it just, they are another one that's due for due for a cup, too. Yeah, I think I was kind of actually leading to Minnesota in my pick because I feel like I feel like this the West kind of be is the that your is. sleeper? That was my sleeper. I think they're actually going to get to the Cup this year. I'd go be, for it, man. Yeah, I think Minnesota. Is I'm going. I'm going with non-sleeper, just looking yeah. at the teams yeah. and just trying to be as like, okay, they did well. I'm going to pick them. You know, like yeah. It, yeah, I'm going Minnesota out of the West. Just, I feel like the West sort of like yeah. is wide open. I feel like whoever is, I feel like they're going to sneak in there as like a sort of like a four-ish area where they're like yeah. a three out of the division and like they get hot in the playoffs get to the final yeah it's a possibility they got Zuccarello now too yeah, yeah in the in the east I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Washington I just think that they're gonna nah. I, I feel like I got I gotta come back together Burakovsky's not even on the team anymore yeah. um I I, I think it, as much as I I have a friend that's a Washington Capitals fan I have a couple of them I just Ovi's getting older he's gonna try to do it all himself and it's just not I don't know I just don't think the Capitals have it in them again i you know i don't i don't think so yeah. i'm sorry yeah. like they'll make the playoffs but i just don't think like if they face the florida panthers is Holpe going to be better than Bobrovsky? because Holpe is another gamble yeah sometimes he's good sometimes he's not i mean what what do we do there so well, we'll, we'll see pete thanks for all the time today i really appreciate it no thank you it's always fun before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at PJConsidori29, C-O-N-S-A-D-O-R-I. Give me a follow. I'm usually just retweeting a bunch of Ranger stuff, and I also throw a couple comments of my own up there. Um, yeah, so give me a quick follow, and um, you can find me on the podcast here. All the hockey episodes is usually me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you are the hockey guy. There you go. Yeah, and hopefully eventually Star Wars. Hopefully, yeah, we got fig- that's a little bit we'll, down the pipe. We got to we'll figure it out. Got to get through football season a little bit first. And but. and and if you want to play, you want to, you know, I've been playing Gears of War five. Yeah, what a phenomenal game! Yeah. If you have any gaming podcasts coming up, I have done exactly one little, gaming podcast. Little esports. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have done we- one esports podcast ever. I had Art at Cal on. We talked esports a while back, so that's in the archive. Folks, so go check that out. That's a great guest to have. Yeah. If you guys haven't heard that. Yeah, Arda, that was that was Arda Ocal is probably one of the best guys you could talk to, and he is now like the esports guy of ESPN, right? Yep. So, yep. what a phenomenal guest to get! So definitely listen to that. Yeah, that was from that was from last year before he was even on ESPN. So that's a, right. Yeah, I so, mean, it, still though, I mean, he used to do um, with the guy Nasher from uh, YouTube. Yeah, he he did all the esports NHL uh, the NHL championships tournaments. Yeah, 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 no, he phenomenal guest to have. Really great. Yeah, so that was in the archives, and I go check that out. I think it's episode twenty-three-ish, somewhere around like last Thanksgiving. That's where that, that's where he was on. But okay, for that plug out there, Pete, again, thanks for the plug, all the all the great stuff. Up next, this this week's picks for Show Me the Money with Cowboys fan Troy Moriello. Right after this, Show Me the Money. Yes, that's right. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number four are here today. Joining me to do picks this week, a brand new voice of this podcast, someone I've gotten to know over the past year at Iona, great Troy Moriello is with us. Troy, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, man. Since you are new to the podcast, I want to give everybody the chance to know what team do you root for? 
I am a Dallas Cowboys fan for uh, for uh, the last 15 or so years, I would say. Okay, so what got you into the Cowboys? Uh, it's actually a long story. It actually can be traced all the way back to uh, about 1971, 25 years before I was even born. I won't bore you with all the details, but the uh, the bottom line is my father, who was, I think, six or seven years old at the time, was watching Super Bowl six. Uh, with his uncle, my great uncle, who was a Dolphins fan. It was the Dolphins versus the Cowboys. Uh, my dad bet his uncle, I think, a quarter that the Cowboys would win the game, and he rooted for the Cowboys, and the Cowboys won the game. He became a Cowboys fan. 25 years later, I was born, and uh, that was really right in the midst of the three titles in four years for the Cowboys, led by Troy Aikman. So naturally, I was named after Troy Aikman. Uh, I was kind of born into it a little bit. Uh, believe it or not, I was actually a little bit defiant. I was a Jets fan until I was like six, I think, six or seven. And then around 2002, 2003, I, uh, I came over to the dark side and I became a Cowboys fan. So anyone that wants to call me out for being a front runner or anything like that, it's not me. It was my dad uh, like 50 years ago. So I'm just kind of collateral damage. Well, let me get, throw two things out there. Number one, I think it's funny that it goes back to a quarter in 1971, your fandom. That's, exactly, that's, exactly. That's great. Number two. <laughs> You made the right call getting off the jet bandwagon because that was not a good ship to be riding on. Trust me on that one. Absolutely. I jumped from one sinking ship to one a little bit less sinking ship. It's still floating at least, I guess. Yeah, but you hopped on and they were terrible, so you can't be accused of being a front runner. Exactly, exactly. And I've seen, I've seen no win since then, so I haven't gained anything from it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, they are a good start this year. They are 3-0. Absolutely. They crushed the Dolphins, but that game was pretty close in the first half. I mean, do you think that they took the Dolphins lightly in the first half of that game? Yeah, absolutely. I think that they were probably looking ahead a little bit to their big game against the uh, against the Saints this week. You know, 22.5-point favorite or whatever it was against the Dolphins. They were probably looking ahead a little bit. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that their their front seven probably – assumed that they were just going to breeze right by the Dolphins' offensive line, which is pretty much the worst in the league. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that on the offensive side, well, go staying on the defense for a second, even Josh Rosen, uh, he was throwing those like short, you know, 5 to 10-yard intermediate routes on their defense, and they were, really weren't stopping them. The Dolphins should have scored about two touchdowns in that first half, and they, they just didn't find the end zone because their skill players are pretty incompetent. And on the offensive side of the ball, um, I think, you know, Dak Prescott may have seen the clips a little bit uh, from the Ravens in week one and the Patriots in week two, seeing how they were just kind of throwing the ball deep, uh, you know, all over this, this Dolphins defense. And at the end of the day, he tried, I think, four deep shots in that first half. None of them connected. One of them was actually intercepted by the Dolphins. So he probably watched the tape a little bit and got a little too overzealous just thinking, I want to blow these guys out right away. You know, maybe they were a little bit nervous, you know, playing – with a little bit of nerve, knowing that they were expected to beat this team by three touchdowns plus. Uh, so that probably had something to do with it. But, yeah, they definitely overlooked the Dolphins a little bit in that first half for sure. Yeah, but they did come out in the second. They won this game. Dak Prescott, again, another good performance there. I feel like he's taking a huge leap forward as a passer. Would you agree that, like, we are now seeing peak Dak in the pocket? Because I feel like he's come much better for throwing the ball opposed to just being a, a uh, options threat quarterback. Absolutely. And I think that Dak Prescott has kind of gotten – a bit of a, of a not fair shake by the media and just by, by football fans in general. When you look at the play calling that he had to deal with his first couple of years in the league with Scott Lenahan, it was some of the worst in the league. It was some of the most predictable in the league. The Cowboys were really, and if there are any Cowboys fans listening, they would agree with this. This is They were the most predictable play calling team in the league. 
if they were gonna if they were gonna throw the ball on first down, it would be an incomplete pass. They would autom- almost automatically be running the ball into the line on second down. Uh, they were just not getting Dak playing to Dak's strengths, and now they kind of are under uh, under Kellen Moore. You know, they're getting him out, they're moving him around, they're running these RPOs, and they're they're just getting Dak. You know, moving more, which he's better at, at, at you know being a mobile quarterback, throwing the ball down the field like that, than just standing in the pocket, being a pocket passer. I think that Dak Prescott, he, he proved to me in the playoff run last year that he is the kind of guy that can lead you to a Super Bowl. He's not going to put the team on his back and you know carry them to a Super Bowl like someone you know Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees can do. But he is the type of guy that can be your quarterback on a Super Bowl team. And with the defense that they have and with the running game that they have and the weapons around him, I think that's good enough. And I think that he's playing, you know, he's played three of the worst defense in the league right now, but he's playing at an MVP level for sure. He is playing at MVP level. He got to keep that up when they go in the Superdome Sunday night against the Saints. And I think it's the game of the week this week. So what do you think we're going to see out of this game? Because, I mean, nobody thought the Saints were going to Seattle and win last week. They did. So now it's a big showdown in the Superdome. Exactly. If, if we would have talked about this game a week ago, I would have felt a lot more confident as a Cowboys fan. Uh, the, the Saints looked really good last week. I, I think you know people forget how, how good Teddy Bridgewater is, or at least how serviceable Teddy Bridgewater is. You know the Saints weren't really putting in a backup quarterback when Drew Brees went down. Teddy Bridgewater is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, and the Saints have so many weapons on offense and on defense. It's going to be a tough game. You know we really the Cowboys are three and zero, but we really haven't learned a whole lot about the Cowboys this season just because of the opponents that they've played have been so bad. And we're really going to learn a lot about the Cowboys in this game. I'm not terribly confident. I know that they're going in favored. Uh, I'm not terribly confident going into the Dome on a Sunday night in primetime. But if they can go out and figure out a way how to win this game, uh, it's going to it's going to turn a lot of heads, I think. And especially with their schedule coming up, you know, playing Green Bay, um, playing the, the Eagles in a couple weeks as well. We're going to learn a lot about the Cowboys in this next four weeks span before they're by. Yeah, and New Orleans highly motivated that game because the Cowboys beat them last year. So you think they're going to want to return the favor this year? I would think so. Yeah, I mean that was really that was really the coming out party for the Cowboys defense Thursday night football. They just shut down uh, Drew Brees and the whole Saints offense really. So I'm sure that you know Brees isn't playing obviously, but I'm sure that the Saints are going to want to kind of return the favor to the Cowboys in a similar situation actually. Yeah, indeed. So let's go ahead to the pick challenge. Our good friend Martino Puccio was here last week for Teen Challengers. He went one and two. He had the Patriots laying 23 points against the Jets. He would have had that if not for Jamal Adams picking off yeah. uh, Stidham and running into the end zone. He had the, <laughs> he had the Seahawks minus four in New, against New Orleans. That one blew up in his face. He did, have the, <laughs> he did have the Giants and Daniel Jones plus six and a half in Tampa. They won the game outright, so one and two on the week for Martino. I, on the other hand, I went 3-0. and Oh, nice. Woo-hoo! Yep, 3-0 and on the week. I took your Cowboys with the 21.5 points against the Dolphins. That first half scared me, but they did cover. Yeah, you, you were sweating that out a little bit in the first half, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was sweating that one out. I had the I had the Colts minus two against the Falcons. They covered that one, won the game. Rams minus three in Cleveland had that one right as well. So on the year, I am 7-2 and two on the year. The Challengers are 4-5 and five so far. Troy, you are up as the first challenger of the week. So where are you going with pick number one? All right, I'll try to get our record uh, a little bit over 500 here. And I'm going to take the Chargers, laying 15 and a half on the road in Miami. Uh, this is more than the fade the Dolphins pick. The Dolphins thing, we, we, we just talked about it uh, a couple minutes ago. They played a really good first half against the Dolphins uh, last week, and they still didn't cover that game. The Dolphins are pretty inept on offense and they're pretty terrible on defense as well. 
And on the other side, the Chargers, you know, they're coming in. They've lost two games in a row. Um, they're going to want to make a statement. They're going on the road, yes, but I think that they're going to want to just get out and take take advantage of this game early. I would take the Chargers' first half line if you could find it as well. Uh, so I'm going to take my first pick. I'm going to take the Chargers minus 15 and a half in Miami. I love that pick. You got my strategy right there, picking against the Dolphins until proven otherwise. So I love that choice from your part. Let's go to pick number two for you. Pick number two. I'm going to kind of go in the uh, in the same thought process here. You bet against the Dolphins and you don't bet against the Patriots. Uh, they're only laying seven points on the road in Buffalo. You know the Bills Mafia is going to be crazy for that game. They're you know they're three and zero. The Patriots are three and zero. This is probably the biggest game that the Bills have played in a while, at least since their uh, playoff run a couple of years a couple of years ago. They're going to be fired up. But if I know anything, it's that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick just love to crush the souls of their opponents, and they love to crush the dreams of their opponents as well. The Bills are riding high. I think that the Bills are a good team. I think they might be a playoff team with uh, Josh Allen and that defense. But if I know one thing, it's that the Patriots just love to just put, give you the most soul-crushing beatdowns that you can. They're laying seven. It's, it's, it's tough to be giving up seven points in a row, but if anyone can cover that, it's the Patriots. So I'm going to take the Patriots minus seven on the road against the Bills. Yeah, that one I was thinking about either way. I almost would have taken Buffalo if I had the half a point there. I think the injuries of the Patriots are concerning, but I can see why you take the Patriots there. That's my thoughts on that game. But let's go to pick number three, your last one of the week. All right, well, pick number one and two, I went with the trends. I went against the Dolphins. I went for the Patriots. I'm going to do something similar here with another trend, and that's you always bet against Kirk Cousins on the road in primetime games. This isn't a primetime game against the Bears, but it is a national CBS 425 game. Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. I'm going to take the Bears minus two and a half against the Vikings. Uh, I just think that, you know, Kirk Cousins, I, I have no reason to ever trust him in a big game with a lot of people watching. Uh, I think that Minnesota is a very good team. I think that these two teams are pretty much even. But at the end of the day, I think that the Bears will win this game at home. And I think only giving up two and a half points at home. Uh, they'll win this game by a field goal plus. So I'm going to take the Bears minus two and a half at home against the Vikings. I like all of your picks there. I think that's another good choice. The Bears look very good on Monday night this week. The Vikings did not look very good in week two when they played a good team. They played two bad ones before that. So we'll see what happens there. Let's go to my picks. Pick number one, I am going with the Atlanta Falcons laying four at home against the Tennessee Titans. And this is more of an indictment against Tennessee than anything. I don't think it's a very good football team. Yes, they crushed the Browns week one. Yes, they played the Colts tough in week two, but Marcus Mariota cannot pass the football. And that's not a good rest when you're going down to Atlanta, playing in the Mercedes-Benz Dome, and the Falcons coming off a loss themselves. I think Atlanta needs that game. I think they're going to win by a touchdown at least. So give me the Falcons laying the four at home. Absolutely. That's a bounce-back game for the Falcons. I, I could see, like you said, them winning that game by about a touchdown or something. All right, that's pick number one for me. Pick number two, I'm going with the Carolina Panthers staying in that division, get, getting four points on the road in Houston. I don't Ooh. care that the Texans are 2-1. and one. I just don't buy they're very good. I mean, they caught and tooth and nail to get by the Chargers last week. They lost, They should have lost the Jaguars week two. They blew a game week one against the Saints. I just don't think they're that good. I'm getting points of the Panthers who look very good in Arizona last week. Kyle Allen, a quarterback. He's starting again. Christian McCaffrey's a great running back. they got some good weapons in the passing game. Give me the Panthers here, getting four points on the road. Keep that close, if not win it outright. So you're riding the Kyle Allen train there, I guess, huh? It's more the anti-Texans train. I don't think they're a very good football team. I thought they're highly overrated. 
That's true. They they have they have not looked very good this year. I, I'll I'll agree with you there. Yeah, I think the Colts won that division, but I'm not going there this week. I'm for pick number three. I am going to Minshew Mania. I'm taking the Jaguars, getting three points in Denver against the Broncos. And this is a case where I look at this one and said, Denver's favor in this game? They've looked awful <laughs> the first three weeks of the season. I know it's their home in Denver at Altu's advantage, but I'm getting points on the road with Minshew, who's played very well over the first four games for being a sixth-round pick. I love that I do not like Denver, who, for having Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on that team, they don't have a sack yet. That's incredible mm-hmm. with that football team. So give me the Minshew magic of the week. The Jazz get the two and two. I'm getting three points here. It makes it even better. Give me Jacksonville plus three in Denver. Yeah, I was telling people all offseason I thought the Broncos could be a playoff team with Joe Flacco. They've made me look really dumb lately. So uh, I'll agree with any any Joe Flacco slander for sure. All right, so to reset the picks for the week, Troy has gone with the Chargers laying 15.5 points against the hapless Dolphins, the Patriots laying 7 in Buffalo against Bills Mafia and, the, and company, and the Bears laying 2.5 at home against the Minnesota Vikings. I have taken the Falcons minus 4 at home against the Tennessee Titans. The, the Carolina Panthers plus four in Houston against the Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars and Gardner Minshew Mania plus three in Denver. And those are your picks for week number four on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Troy, before I let you go, I know you're a big, big baseball fan. So we talked some baseball last week. Yankees are going into the playoffs. As a Yankee fan, what is your biggest concern with this team going into the postseason? Uh, it's. I don't even know if it's a concern with the team. I'm just concerned about the Astros. That pitching that the Astros have. When you can throw Garrett Cole, Zach Granke, Justin Verlander in, in three games of a playoff series, it's going to be really tough to beat them. I guess the pitching for the Yankees just doesn't stack up to them. I think that the Astros are going to go in the favorite. And uh, and honestly, the, the Twins could upset the Yankees in the first round with the, the type of hitting that they have. But but in terms of, of, of a fear, I would say it's just more getting through the Astros, and I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Uh, I agree with the Astro problem because I picked the Astros to win the World Series preseason. That was being before they had Granky, so that's one thing. But I disagree on the Twins. I mean, I don't think this – if you look at the track record of this team has faced against the Yankees since 2000, I know there's different players back then, but they've been awful against the Yankees. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, no, you're right about that. They, they hit a lot of home runs, but you don't know if that's going to carry over to the postseason. Yeah, it's like as soon as they go into uh, Yankee Stadium, they turn into pumpkins in the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And just to tease next week's picks guest for Show Me the Money, week number five, uh, familiar voice of this podcast, Giants fan Phil Lombardo will be on. We'll be talking a little Daniel Jones along the way and doing some picks. That is next week. Troy, thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Troy Moriello. That's uh, T-R-O-Y-M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. No underscores or anything like that. Um, and if you want to check out on my Twitter, I've, I've got a, uh, a college basketball podcast. If you're a college basketball fan, uh, it's actually a St. John's basketball podcast. So if there are any St. John's basketball fans out there, I know that we're few and far between. But uh, if there's any St. John's basketball fans out there, I have a St. John's basketball podcast that you can uh, check out on my Twitter page as well. I have a St. John's guest to refer to you that way. Another podcast right, who loves St. John's. I'll talk to you about that off air. But thanks again. <laughs> awesome. Up next, we'll go our two-minute drill. We'll talk about the latest nonsense from Antonio Brown right after this. Jay, I spent some time with Drew Rosenhaus, you know, Brown's agent, uh, yesterday, and he was hoping that he could get Brown on a team here you know, sometime, and they will go after the guaranteed money for both the Patriots and the Raiders. Now, 
these latest you know tweets and the information that you've got you know it's irrational thinking and, and and I think he really needs some help now as far as a general manager or a head coach I would not touch him this year next year or ever and I hope we're done talking about Antonio Brown all right, we are back on Let's Seek's two-minute drill. You guys heard the voice of Fox Sports' Jimmy Johnson breaking down the latest in the Antonio Brown saga and the fact that if he was running a team now, he would not go anywhere near this guy. And I have to say I agree with Coach Johnson, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, but that's another discussion. The Antonio Brown saga just continues to get worse and worse in the, for the NFL. Last week, we have the whole saga of we had the last we left off with him, we had the civil suit about the rape allegations and then we have this bombshell story drop from Sports Illustrated where involves Brown again being involved in a sexual misconduct suit uh, being sued by a artist who worked for him and then he responds to this artist who was hired by him to paint a mural in his home and was never paid but that's another part of the story I'll get to so she makes these claims public. Later on, he sends them text messages in a group read with her and some of his friends that include pictures of the woman and her kids. And he's basically saying to his buddies, investigate this woman for me and find some dirt on her. She rightly took that as a threat. The Patriots who were trying to cover their butts with Antonio Brown and Bill Belichick, again, almost soulless in the pursuit of winning. Last week, prior to the game against the Jets, one of his press conferences, he kept getting asked question after question about Antonio Brown. At one point, he just walked away from the podium and said, I'm done, guys. See you later. Just left the podium. He goes, a few hours later, Antonio Brown gets cut. Mostly because of the stuff in this SI article, which they had not been aware of. This SI story just completely damns Brown because it gets into the story of this artist, but it also depicts how terrible a human being Antonio Brown has become. I mean, we get stories about how, like, he's basically using his influence to get people to do things for him without paying them, ghosting these people when they look for payment, how he's insulting everybody left and right, how he's gotten into scraps with the mother of his children. This is a terrible look. I mean, you got to read this whole story. It's by Robert Klemko in the latest Sports Illustrated. It's also on their website. Some of the stuff that's in there, you wonder... How did this guy get like this? Because, remember, this is a sixth-round pick out of Central Michigan. And every, all that you talked to early in his career was about how great a guy he was, about how Antonio Brown was just a sponge, he was a model receiver. It just made no sense what's happened to this guy. He literally became a diva who decided he could do whatever he wants, whenever he wanted. Cost be damned. And I'm sorry, that's not a way to live your life. And if I was an NFL team, I would not go anywhere near Antonio Brown. I would not because he has become a complete sideshow. Look what I did on Twitter after the Patriots released him. He goes on this epic Twitter rant about, I'm never playing in the NFL again because it's BS that they can take your guaranteed money away. And then he calls out all the people in the past who have had issues with like sexual assault allegations called out Ben Roethlisberger, he called out Robert Kraft, he called out Shannon Sharp, called out a bunch of guys, basically throwing a temper tantrum saying, why am I getting punished when everybody else gets to do all these and get away with them? You know what? As far as the money's concerned, A.B., 
That's your fault. You 100% are responsible for the fact that you lost $40 million in signing laws because you couldn't follow rules. You couldn't show up with a helmet. You decided to legally take your coach on a phone call. You started throwing furniture out of apartment buildings, according to this SI story. Grow up, Antonio. And if you're an NFL team, I don't care how talented he is. I don't care if he's one of the best receivers in the league when he's playing. You cannot have that little side show going in the locker room. The Patriots clearly got fed up by this. Imagine one of the other 52 guys in that room, and you're sitting there going, Coach, why am I being asked 55 questions a game about Antonio Brown? I have work I need to do. I can't do it when I'm being bugged constantly about this idiot who's doing all of this nonsense off the field. And one last note on Belichick here before we move on. Bill Belichick, again, on Sunday before the game with CBS reporter Dan Jackson, was asking about Antonio Brown, basically rolled his eyes and ignored the questions. You don't get to do that, Bill. You made the choice to bring in Antonio Brown. You have to face the consequences of the fact that you brought him in when you knew he had a clouded past and he had stuff going on. You chose to put winning ahead of dealing with character in the Patriot way. You don't get to duck the question because you've won six Super Bowls. You have to answer that question. Shame on you, Belichick. Shame on you, Antonio Brown. And I hope that there are not teams that are stupid enough to sign him. We've heard reports that there are at least three teams interested in him when the settlement gets figured out and when the league sorts out what's going on with Antonio Brown. Please, until this man grows up, he should not be rewarded with another NFL contract. He should move on. The league should move on. They should have nothing to do with this guy. And Antonio Brown, you wonder about his mental health because this dude is clearly unstable. If you read the story from Sports Illustrated, which I highly recommend, he does not seem normal. There are screws loose in there. I would hope that NFL teams, especially the ones that are struggling and need a change of attention here, don't just say, you know what, we'll bring him in because we need to win. Winning is great, but it should not come with the cost of employing complete, pardon my French, a-holes like Antonio Brown. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Pete Considori, for coming by to talk all about the hockey. Give us a lot great detailed preview of the NHL season for the locals, a little bit of national flavor. I also want to thank Troy Mariello for calling in to do the picks on week four of Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the Yankee playoff roster will look like after the Domingo Herman suspension, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Tune in and Stitcher as well. Feel free to search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms, and you can find all the episodes there, including the one that we talked about in the hockey segment with Arda Akal from eSports fame last year. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings. Those are a big help to help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet with hashtag 1A1B. Again, hashtag 1A1B. Made at the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to talk baseball playoffs. We're going to talk do some more NFL picks in week five and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Tampa Bay Bucks fans. Oh,